Good morning, Awakening Church. I'm so, and happy Mother's Day. Um, I'm so, so, so very honored to be standing in the company of everyone. And for those of you that don't know me, my name is Adriana, and I've been coming to the Awakening for a little over five years now. Um, and more recently, I've had the honor of serving um, on the prayer ministry and the church board. So I am also a single mother to three amazing children that the Lord has blessed and entrusted me with. I have my oldest, uh, who will be 16, that's Sierra. She's also serving in a leadership role over at the children's ministry. My son, Nathan, who has more recently said that he wanted to be a pastor when he grows up. And my 14-year-old, Allison, who is our earth angel and who's been gifted with the ability to see every single human with the eyes of the Father. So with all these things, um, nothing brings me greater joy. Um, so in, these, in this journey that I've had with my kids, um, there's a verse that was spoken from the prophet Isaiah that really brought me much comfort. Um, and he said um, that he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. That truth helped carry me through the highs and lows of being a mother, uh, mostly because I know that it was he who carried us all along. So um, with that, that also painted a really beautiful picture for me of some of the many attributes of God, some that um, we mothers carry too, and not just us, but aunts and babysitters and aunts, caregivers, and simply women with a mother's heart. So with that, I ask that um, all of our mothers, all of our uh, motherly influences stand, and I ask that you would all join me in prayer of gratitude and appreciation for all of you today. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for all the women that are standing here before you today and for those that are watching at home, Lord. Um, I pray, I thank you, Lord, that you nurture, you embrace us, you tend to our wounds, and you listen to our cries, Lord. You protect. On this Mother's Day, Father, may every woman and person who's standing here and sitting here today know that no matter what kind of maternal influence we may have had, Lord, that we may rest, that we are precious in your sight. We are daughters of the King. Lord, we are your beloved. Abba Father, we thank you that you have hardwired each and every single one of us to love and to be loved. And as Pastor Carey prepares to come up and bring us a message, Lord, we ask that you would quiet our spirits so that we may receive what your heart has to say to ours. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Adriana. It's good to see families together for this day, uh, whether you're in-house or you're online. Um, indeed, it's a beautiful time to be able to just pause and slow down and reflect on God's richness and his goodness in the home life that we have. And maybe even if you didn't have that great of a home life, you can reflect on the fact that you're here today and God's blessing has been upon you for you wouldn't be here today if that was not true. You know, it's interesting when you do that to hand down as to who's been, you know, the youngest mom, who's, you know, most experienced mom, who has the most kids, that kind of deal. Uh, I came from a, a church that there was one family that wanted every year, what was it, seven or eight kind of kids, you know. And I'm like, you know, we had four, and um, I think that was sufficient. And uh, I'm still working on uh, the home life with my uh, beautiful wife, Melissa, as we raise and nurture our children. But you know, uh, some of you have experienced this as your children get older, um, you are always still in the nurturing mode, are we not? You know, if uh, <clears throat> I had my niece, one of my nieces, there's uh, 18 cousins, one to another, and uh, if one of my nieces was here by the name of Amy, maybe she's watching online, I don't know, she would have won the newest mom, I think, because she had a baby on Monday this last week, and um, that's exciting. It was her first, and I saw her post on Facebook today, welcome, you know, happy Mother's Day to the new mommy, uh, Amy Hobson, and uh, I was thinking how incredible uh, God's timing was this week in her giving birth because she gave birth on Monday, May 3rd, which was the birthday of my mom, her grandma. And not only was the baby born on um, grandma's, my mother's birthday, 
but uh, they also named the baby after my mom. My mom's name was Norma Jean, and they named her Nora Jean. And uh, I don't know if the heavens can see all that happens down here, but my mom would be beaming proud this week on Mother's Day as a grandmother, great-grandmother of a newborn baby that's named after her. I miss my mom. Do you miss your mom if she's moved on to be with the Lord? My mom was uh, instrumental in my life. Many of you know that she died a year and a half ago, and I was back home by her bedside, actually, when she took her last breath. And in the week that she was realizing that she was going to pass from this life to the next, um, as much grief as we were sharing together, I remember in that hospital room before she went to be at home on hospice, um, she teared up in her eyes as she broke um, thoughts to us. And she says, I wanted to be around for more babies. I wanted to be around for more weddings, but I get to go see my Jesus. She walked intimately with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, on the way out of my um, study this morning, I grabbed one of her Bibles um, that our family um, shares. And this little black Bible from my mother, I remember coming down the steps, bouncing down the steps in that old farmhouse in Indiana, and uh, I would see my mother uh, early in the morning, sometimes in the evening, sitting in the corner by her lamp, and she would have this black Bible. Now, she got other Bibles later on, and I had those Bibles, but recently when uh, Zach was back at the farm, he said, Dad, you want to see that? And I said, yeah, I'd like to see it. It belongs to all of us. But uh, I grabbed it because it was sitting there on my study today. And um, I said, I wonder what this old little King James Bible, it's all worn and torn up a little bit and edges, and I'm like, I don't want to mess with it too much it might fall apart that kind of thing and um, I found this little piece of paper pulled out broken at the end and this is indicative of my mom and I remember her saying this phrase to me growing up Christianity is a life exclamation point Christ living in me exclamation point not a religion Christianity is the outliving of the indwelling living Christ, yielded and surrendered to him. I was blessed to have a mother, and she would have been 91 this last Monday, who lived her life focused on Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And she imparted that to all five of us siblings to the 18 grandkids, and now is being imparted down to the next generation of kids. And those cousins are all starting to have babies. But as we sang that song to a thousand generations, the blessing, do you realize that the life you live right now is going to influence generations to come? Scripture says that sins are passed down sometimes to the third and fourth generation. And that is true. The brokenness in the home can be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Some people would say maybe it's a, a family kind of curse that's upon us. But friends, you can break the chains of that curse or that lineage that's broken and wrong and establish one that's right. That's no guarantee that your children, your kids, your grandkids, um, your nieces and nephews will end up living for the Lord or having a God-centered, kingdom-minded heart for Him. But we live in such a way that our life inevitably, inevitably is passed on to another. And we may say things like, uh, do as I say, don't do as I do kind of deal. But doesn't work that way. We watch and model our life in part after those whom we are around, for better or for worse. And my challenge here today for us on Mother's Day is that we would take stock of our lives, not only as mothers, but as fathers, as aunts and uncles, grandmas, grandpas, any nurture. And I love the video because it talked about a spiritual mother. And that's true. Maybe there's somebody in your life who's just sort of put their arm around you. I think I can probably say this if it's all right, Adriana. Adriana is up here specifically in part because she has a spiritual mother called Debbie Taylor. 
And when she came into my office as a broken single mom, and I didn't know who she was, and I, I said, well, here, we'll try to help this and that. And I gave her four things to do. And I always sometimes say Adrienne is sort of the poster child of the Awakening Church because she did all four things. And one of those is I wanted her to connect with a spiritual mentor. And she met with Debbie, gave her life to Debbie, and it's been an upward trajectory since then. So it's not just the fact of us speaking on this subject because it's Mother's Day for mothers. It's for all of us. Even if you're a young person today, in your school, in your friendship networks, you are having an influence on someone else. I love it when I find someone shows up at this church because someone who was in our youth group or even a child invited them to come in their family. We are always passing on from one generation or one friendship to another the influence around us. And so what I'd like to look at today is just briefly a passage that's in Joshua, taking a break from our First John series on light and life today to focus on this. But in First John, there, uh, I mean, in, in uh, Joshua 24, we have Joshua himself who followed Moses, who allowed the Israelites to go into the promised land. We have Joshua giving his parting thoughts, his parting thoughts. And one of the phrases that's in Joshua 24, I just want to position to you today. Maybe you've heard it before. It's this. As for me and my household, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, in Joshua 24, if you want to turn there, whether in your Bibles or an electronic device, whatever it may be, I'm not going to read this chapter fully, but I do want to highlight a couple things related to Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, um, this leader of the nation of Israel, as he's giving some of his parting thoughts and and, uh, knowing that his time is short, he is calling together family units. You have tribes, you have clans, and you have families. And it's quite prominent throughout Scripture, the influence of one to another as it relates um, to what's happening within these uh, particular um, family units. It says this in Joshua 24.1, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, to summon the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel. And they presented themselves to God. Now, what do you think he did? Gather around, families. I got some words to share with you. These words are pretty important. Because my time here on earth is short. And man, we have made a journey from Moses and and leaving the bondage to where we're at today. What he does when he gathers them is to get them to reflect on the journey that had been before them, not just in their generation, but the generations before. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Norha, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and Isaac gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Now they're thinking visually, you know, so-and-so, they moved here to that state and these states. He's recalling the heritage, the lineage of how they got to where they're at. Verse 5, then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. Really jumped some generations, right? And I brought you out. When I brought your people out to Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for their help. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, God said. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. Then Barak, son of Zippor, and king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. 
But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of this land by his hand. What's he doing? Pause. Breathe. You're on Mother's Day 2021. How did you get here? Where did you come from? What's been your heritage? Ups and downs. Not just your family, your parents, your grandparents, but even going back before then. Do you know some of your lineage? And does your lineage include God? Or does it include godlessness? Joshua is telling them, God has been with you and our people, the Israelites, and saved us, brought us out of bondage, brought us into this land, this land of other gods, little g. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did all the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Pepsiites. No, there's no Pepsiites there. <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I give you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Your heritage, what you were brought to. And then he says this in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then our verse for today. But... As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. When Joshua said this to his tribes, God's tribes, the clans and the families that were gathered around, he didn't think they would. You see what happened when you moved into a land with other gods. It was actually a part of the treaties the Hivites, the Amorites, and, and you go back into some of these treaties, and though this isn't a treaty, it's the reflection upon a treaty if you read the broader context of where this is at. And what's say, being said here is that when you come into a land, it's only rightful for you to adopt what's in that land. And so you would take on the gods of that land. But the one true God who revealed himself to Abraham from the very beginning of the Israelite history was a unique God because he's the only one true God. He was the God who has always been, the uncaused cause of the universe, the one who created all things, who will continue to sustain the world into the eons of eternity. There was one true God, and he, his name is Yahweh, the great God I am, and he revealed himself to the people that he created fresh and anew through Abraham and the lineage of the Israelites. And he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you in order for you to be a blessing. You see, the desire was not for God to have some little special group called the Jewish Israelite people. He picked them in order to be a blessing to other people. Why? Because you end up following in many ways by the examples of people that are around you. And so the Israelites were to be the prominent family of people who were worshiping the one true God and then Others would come to know him as well. But when they entered lands, whether it was Egypt or here with the Amorites and the Hittites and, and the, the Pepsilites and everybody else, there was just this idea that uh, you were supposed to maybe acclimate to the, those gods. And he says, don't do it. Don't acclimate to the gods of your culture. Stay true to the one true God, the great I am, and serve and worship him. You're going to have to decide about your household. You're going to have to decide about your household, but as for me, I think the word but there is important. The word but there is because but everything else that's going on in our world, everything else that's going on in the local homes that you're a part of, busted or whether they're nuclear homes, whatever they may be, but as for my household, 
We will serve the Lord. And he wasn't just thinking about his kids and his grandkids. He was looking at each and individual tribe because he saw the nation of Israel as a household. But he didn't know if they would. And what do you have after Joshua? Judges. Joshua judges, and in Judges, they were in this circular kind of motion where they would worship the one true God and then they everybody did what was right in their own eyes and then they fell into sin and then they would have to repent and then they would come back to the one true God and then they would start to grow in ease and then they would start to sin by the world around them. then they would around and around it we go because that's what's common in the cultures in a broken fallen world until Jesus Christ returns and establishes eternal kingdom is that we live in a foreign land And when you are in a foreign land, you will be tempted to follow other gods. And those gods may be gods that aren't some idols. They may not have a particular name. But anything that entices your allegiance, your foremost allegiance in life, not a religion, as my mom says in her Bible, but Christianity is the indwelling, the in-living Christ, living his life through you, true Christian faith. It will have opposition. And that may be materialism. It may be fame and popularity and power. It may be pleasure. It may be uh, various relationships, whatever it may be. Anything that surplants Jesus Christ, who came, God himself, lived, died, was raised from the grave, ascended to the heavens, sent his spirit to dwell within those who want to be Christ followers, coming again to redeem all and change the world, make it whole and a new heaven and a new earth. The big master narrative, anything that's juxtaposed to that can be a God, little g. And we live in a foreign land. Now, it doesn't mean our land's bad. It doesn't mean uh, other countries are bad necessarily. There's all kinds of different cultures. There's beauty in culture. We always have to distinguish between what's a biblical principle and what's a cultural preference. And there's beauty in all kinds of cultures. It says in Revelation what? People in the end times will be from every language, tribe, and nation. Woo! Beauty! Colo was good having you play the keyboard today, friend. Good job. <laughs> He represents a different kind of nationality. All kinds will be on that final day. But here's the deal. For these days, we got to work pretty hard because we live in an environment that will pull us away from that statement of serving the Lord, the one true God. And I want to speak specifically today to households who are parents of teenagers. Households that have teenagers. That's one of the reasons I'm uh, thankful, if we can click this, that I'm thankful that we can uh, have the middle schoolers in here today. There's a lady by the name of Kendra Creasy Dean. Uh, she was a part of a study uh, a few just few years ago and wrote a book called Almost Christian, What the Faith of Our Teenagers is Telling the American Church. She says this, If teenagers lack an articulate faith, maybe it is because the faith we show them is too spineless to merit in the way of conversation. Maybe teenagers' inability to talk about religion is not because the church inspires a faith too deep for words, but because the God story that we tell is too vapid to merit more than a superficial vocabulary. This comes from a pretty significant study, and it is a stunning accusation, if I can say that. Do you know what vapid is? Maybe you don't really use that word. Vapid means insignificant and unchallenging. In other words, boring, lifeless. What's the opposite? Challenging, inspiring, filled with wonder and awe. Is the Christian life that we're living in our homes, whether with little ones like Jackson, who was up here to begin with today with Katie, or teenagers, or young adults, or maybe even adult kids, 
is the life that we're living an inspiration and filled with wonder when it comes to the Christian faith, or is it boring, flat, placid, and vaporous? You see, here's the challenge. We as a church have a student ministry program. But the student ministry program is a supplement to the family. The children's ministry program is a supplement to the family. This weekend we had a couple in who was uh, uh, engaging in the idea of maybe leading our children's ministry and, and we had interactions with them and I appreciate one board member's question to them was, uh, tell us about your philosophy or vision for parents as it relates to kids. And they jumped right in and, and it was very valid because here's the reality. We have limited number of little hours to be able to give biblical Christian instruction, whether in groups that are meeting now, like the elementaries or the littles, or student ministry on a Wednesday, very few hours. But you and I as parents, we, want, we have hundreds of hours during the week. Some of those were sleeping, some of those were eating, some of those were working, but there are many hours hours that we have flexible and God's program for the development of young people is the home the church is a supplement and we seek to be inspiring I I hope to be filled with with God when I step up before you on a Sunday like this because my goodness I I I know my mom's watching and she say Carrie you 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 need to preach that Christ is alive and, and there's a vital faith right but I want you to take serious this accusation, if you will, and reflect on your life because you will pass down to a thousand generations possibly the vitality or not of the spiritual life that you have. The study that this lady did was a part of what was called the National Study of Youth and Religion. This is what they discovered with teenagers. Teenagers have a positive view of religion, but they don't give it much thought. Not negative. It's there. There's too many other things to be excited about or scared about or fearful of and anxiety stricken from. So positive view of religion, in general religion. Second is most American teens, they do mirror their parents' faith. And sometimes they react to it and run the opposite way. But there is, in general, a mirroring of the parents' faith. Third is they don't know how to express faith or use it to interpret their world. I think this thing's vital. We're going to circle back around to this in a second. But but they don't quite know where to go with it. Fourth is a minority, 8% say that faith is making a difference in their lives. Woo-hoo! 8%! Faith is making a difference in my life! Friends, that's not a good statistic, is it? 8%. They also then found that many teens adhere to an outlook called moral therapeutic deism. M-T-D. Now you're saying, that's a mouthful, Carrie. You're getting heavy on us? That's, I'm going to have to engage my brain here. Yes, you must engage your brain. I thought I could maybe use some other reference, but uh, when I came across this, and I actually used this in part of a paper I wrote for a graduate program, I love that um, full description. What is normally being dispensed out of your home, even out of churches, in general is not this vital, cutting-edge, wonder-filled kingdom of life, live right out for Jesus because He's the indwelling person within you if you're following Him. What's being dispensed is moral therapeutic deism. Now, what is moral therapeutic deism? Follow me with this. First, it says God exists. A God exists, a little g, who created and watches over the earth. Now, it could be a big G in there, God. And and, right, the little G is many gods, big G is one true God kind of thing. But the idea, the word deism or deistic, and it was true of the founders of this country in a lot of ways. I know it was true of Thomas Jefferson. 
and that's why he didn't believe in miracles. So Thomas Jefferson had his own Bible, and he cut out all the miracles because he didn't believe that God would what? Interface in this current world. So what you have in this dispensing to our families and students and and, uh, little kids even is just a general deism. God made it and created it all. He started it up. Boom! Big engine, universe. And then he just sort of became an absentee landlord and he walked away. And he watches it from a distance. He created it, watches it, but he's not intricately involved in it. So deism is different than theism. Theism is there's one true God, but a deistic version of theism means that that God is absent. Is God absent in your home? Oh no, we pray at the meals. I appreciate that. I want to know how vital God conversations are in your home. How much wrestling is there with decisions in your household as to what would be the Jesus will in this? So that's the first thing in moral therapeutic deism. The second is God wants people to be good, nice, and fair. Isn't that the general uh, virtue of our times? Just be nice. You know, the Bible talks a lot about kindness and compassion, and it's a radical kindness, and it's a radical compassion for all people. But the word nice doesn't exist in the Bible as it relates to values and what the Holy Spirit brings. There is a radical version of kindness and compassion, but in our culture today, uh, just be nice. Oh, don't step on their toes. Be good. Uh, let's be fair. Justice, justices of God. But there's just general malaise um, of lukewarmness as it relates to values and the value that emerges. Just be nice. Just be nice. Third, the goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. That's what's being picked up in the home as it relates to Church, Christianity, just, it's all about what? Me. My happiness and feeling good about myself. That's where the word therapeutic comes in, right? There's this therapeuticness, this uh, Christian, rightful Christian psychology, don't get me wrong on that, but there's this idea that it's just about feeling good. Fourth, God is not involved in life except when I need him to resolve a problem. Oh, I need to pray on that one. Why haven't you been praying? Why haven't you been communing? Why haven't you been, you know, diving into scriptures to get to know him on a regular daily basis even? Nope. He's there for me, sort of I sometimes say that he's a celestial vending machine or a celestial Santa Claus. You know, I need that now. Thank you very much because life's about being happy and feeling good for myself. And then E is good people go to heaven when they die. Oh, we don't teach that. We teach you have to know Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad that you do. And that's important without question. But the general ethos comes across good people go um, to heaven when they die. That's what moral therapeutic deism is, MTD. Do you have a lot of MTD going on in your home and in your nurturing? Because it needs to be corrected. It's not saying what you're doing is fully wrong, but you need to correct it and bend it towards what's being uh, exhibited in Scripture is uh, Christ-centeredness. And Joshua was concerned of his day, what the culture was doing to his people And we can identify, why would they go worship those gods of the Amorites and the Hittites? Well, maybe they just sort of got sucked into it, right? We need to blend in with the culture. Maybe there wasn't a strong, definitive stance for Yahweh in their home. The God, the one true God. Whatever it may be, Joshua thought they're going to just sort of slip away and be immersed. And he challenges them at the end. Like, I'm challenging you and I today because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when you can still nurture in your home. Whether they're little ones, newborn ones, or whether they're off to college or thereafter, you have the chance to give a godly influence in your family. And not just in your family, if you're a spiritual mentor of someone else, to be there for them and to move away from the malaise of a general Uh, moral therapeutic deism and bring them into the vitality of an indwelling Christ outliving that life through you 
So where do we go? Well, this is what I want to position to you. This is what you need to be doing. You need to be imparting a God-given purpose for those in your household, in all of our households. And there's just three things, four things that I'll mention in passing. And they come from this uh, overfly study. And, and as I press into it, and as I studied and reflected some, um, even yesterday, I'm like, okay, this is so, so true of what needs to be happening day in and day out. Carrie, don't just get up there and say, do better. Let's get some specifics. Here's some specifics, what you need to be passing on. You need to pass on a creed to believe, a community to belong to, a call to live out, and a hope to hold on to. What is a creed to believe? Well, we're familiar with different kinds of creeds in the church life. There's the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, some other creeds. But creed has to do with belief. What are you imparting in your house concerning the beliefs of this world and ultimate truth? Is it nebulous? Is it a relevant truth? What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Or are you grabbing a hold of your nurturing process and positioning truth and the one true God in the heart of that home and in your relationship? The Apostles' Creed, and sometimes uh, we've sung it in a song here, is simply this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day, he arose again. He ascended into the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, or one true church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen and amen. Maybe you ought to take the Apostles' Creed and just use it as your evening meal declaration before you pray for a whole week. See what happens with that. It's actually something good that to, be, to be memorized. You see, in earlier days, or even in some church circles today, I know it's true in, in Catholic circles, it's, it's true in sectarian um, cultics kind of things, like the Mormonism kind of thing, is that there is a lot of instruction, intense amounts of instruction, even people getting up early for their children to have spiritual education. But today, it's disappeared in large part. We drop them off at church hoping they get a little bit of it, but you can't do that. They're going to live out their life based upon the example they're seeing around you. You are the formative individual process incubator for the religious instruction. Are you giving them a creed to believe? A community to belong to. One of the reasons we would have like uh, middle schoolers, I see all few of you here and here today. It's good to sit with your parents. It's important in our church life not to take the kids and just silo them in their own little programs. They need to be involved in the larger community of the church. Like Adriana was sharing that Sierra, you served, you were teaching the other day, I was so proud of you, and, and the littles. That is great modeling in that home. Yes, it would be valuable for you as a teenager to step into maybe a teaching role that's more than just a, the caregiving, inspiration, craft-helping role. You are becoming formed in your very life right now as a teenager, and you need to be a part of the larger body, the community of Christ. You know, there's a lot of fun things to do in Southern California. And I'm not here to beat up on any of those things. I hope to get away here in a couple weeks. I'm going to Nashville for the general council with my family, which also happens to be at the Opryland Hotel, which has a huge water park. Looking forward to it. Let's go have fun. Let's build memories as a family. Nothing wrong with that. But I tell you what, my concern is that we are so inconsistent sometimes in our church life that we are not including them in the belonging of the community. Oh, we think it's fine now. They've got their friends and school, that kind of thing. But boom, 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 before you know it, they're out there in the real world and they're disconnected from any type of community that has a vital faith in God and is serving the kingdom's purposes. 
you have to be disciplined in your church life, not because you need to check off the box to be a good person to go to heaven, but because you are forming the lives that are connected to your family, your kids, your grandkids, maybe even nieces and nephews. I love it when I start to see uh, extended families start to show up because somebody showed up at this church and then they said, invited by my extended family or here's somebody. And before you know it, they got a household that's within the church and they're doing, not church, they're doing kingdom life together. Serving the purposes of God. A place to belong. You know, many people especially in our culture today, they need to belong before they believe. And even if they're non-believers, make them, allow them to have the opportunity to belong. And then may we as a community of Christ followers not be fake and phony. Maybe we be real. Yeah, we have ups and downs. We have ugly sides, but we have a Savior that forgives us. He has uh, His Spirit who is empowering us. I am placing my children in a vital community. And I'm not sure about you, but sometimes we start to not have a Christ-centered home or a parent-centered home. We end up having a kid-centered home and the kids seem to run it. I'm not sure why we would say to a 12-year-old, oh, you don't want to go to church? Then you don't have to go to church. When we would never say, oh, you don't want to take a bath or a shower? You never have to take a bath or a shower. Why? We think, oh, well, they got their own free will. Friends, they're formative. Allow them to be in a place of community, of richness, a creed to believe, a place, a community to belong to. Third, a call to live out. And this call has to do with this master narrative of what God's doing in the universe. It's not just, hey, commit your life to Jesus and then wait for him to return someday, or when you die, you get to go to heaven. No, he's got a calling and a purpose in your life. I love our Rooted group, and Rooted is coming to a close, our 10-week discipleship kind of thing. And we've been talking in recent weeks about the purpose that we have for our life in God. And that purpose is a mission. And a mission doesn't be, be a missionary or just go on a mission trip. It means to seek out the mission of God and what he's doing and participate in it with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your own capacities. God places us in different communities, educational worlds, medical worlds, entertainment worlds, you name it. God has us in mission fields. But you have a call to live out in that mission field. As a full-time missionary, a disciple of Jesus Christ, uniquely disguised as a clerical person, a teacher, a lawyer, a professional here or there, or maybe just a support person, whatever it may be. You're uniquely disguised, but you're foremostly a disciple. You are on a mission. And so let's raise up our children. Let's raise up households. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And when we serve the Lord, we do it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm not interested in just saying, and, and I know Pastor Zach's interested in getting a short-term mission trip together maybe for Mexico and Guadalajara and some missionaries we're connected with there this fall, and I hope that materializes. But I'm not just interested in those little excursions. Or this week, our rooted group actually went and we served up in Lake Elsinore at a ministry. I sat across from the life of an individual by the name of Leland, and he's 20, was 22. We served the food, and then we sat down and we talked to him. Leland told me this last year that he lost his mother and he lost his father. They were never married but they chose to have him but each of them were drug individuals and they both died this last year he too was a drug individual that had been passed down to him and now he was trying to get his life put together three months ago he committed his life to Jesus Christ and his life has been changing he was a part of this community and this community that he was a part of was changing his life as well and he had a job just down the street at a fabrication company and he just sort of had this smile hidden nice quiet smile saying you know God my life's been changed his life's been changed by Jesus Christ. And I love it when we can get outside of our little circles and serve like that. But it's not just the one-time experience like we had this week. We're trying to put the DNA within our life groups so that our life groups would be missional communities that would serve because we all have a calling, not just as individuals, but as communities to serve others. We are on mission. 
That's why the awakening church says we want people, more and more people, awakening people, to be fully alive in Christ and to His, what? Mission. A call to live out. Let's pass it on to our kids. Whatever vocational uh, careers they choose, it's a mission field as God would lead. And then finally, as a hope to hold on to. Can't anchor long here, but friends, this is getting beyond just passing on to our kids. You need to be saved so you go to heaven. No. Jesus came to redeem you to be a part of an incredible kingdom that he's building for all time. And one of these days when we pass from this life to the next, as my parents have and other loved ones that you have that are in Christ, we will rule and reign. We will be co-heirs with Christ. This is a stopping ground. Uh, This is a boot camp. This is a development uh, training center for us to be a participant in God, with God in Christ into the eons of time. Do you grab a hold of the sense of the wonder of that master narrative and place that before them? A hope, a hope to hold on to. The Apostle Paul, he was never married, but he was a spiritual mentor and has many spiritual children, including you and I in this room, because he wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was a lost pagan person as it related to being a Christ follower. Yes, he was religious, he was a Pharisee, but God struck him and he had a a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And Jesus came into his life and led his life, and he took that life and went on mission. And he would do as Joshua would do. He would exhort the communities of faith, the families, serve the Lord. Don't get indoctrinated by the world around you that corrupts and leads you in some strayward paths. There's much richness and joy in our world as God provides. But Paul would exhort them. Be wise, be careful, and be passionate. Live it out in your home. Live it out in your home. Your words may not seem to be going anywhere and your kids may be giving you pushback right now, but it's your life they're going to remember. Yes, I remember some of the words of my mother and my father, but it was their lives that they lived. Keep it on, keep it on, living out the example of Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says this, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through God, the righteousness that is by faith and is from God. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. (laughs) Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will reveal to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to Christ. For as I have often told you before, and I now say again, even with tears, many, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to place everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. My brothers, 
and sisters, mothers, and fathers. Take note. Take note. For this is how you should stand firm in the faith. Will you pray with me? Lord, here today, may it go across not just this room, but online and in households, a new reckoning to live the example of our faith. And may that example be one that's vital in whatever we need to do in our lives to make corrections, whether it's being in your word more, interacting with others, serving your purposes, being on prayer walks to commune with you, asking for a spiritual mentor to help sharpen you, being a part of the church community more, whatever it takes to know Christ and to make him known in the home. May those decisions go from here. For we know that our children, littles, kids, students, young adults, will be more spiritually formed by our example or lack thereof than by anything that happens in a church meeting. But Lord, for this church meeting, may your spirit go with us and may you quicken us to your word as Joshua instructed his clans and tribes and families to not, to not be led astray, but to have households that serve the Lord. May your blessing abide and reside upon all richly in your name, God's people said, amen. The first place you begin, if you're not a Christ follower, is to seek out to know Jesus. Adriana heads up a prayer team that gathers over here on this area where you can ask for prayer. If you want to have prayer in your own personal life for a spiritual thing or maybe something that's going on with your family, take the opportunity to pray with someone else. Next week, I want you to save the date. I hope you did. Everyone's invited to the home of Melissa and I. We're going to have a great time of meal together and celebrating some new life through baptism. And those of you who signed up for Crown Financial Studies, that's great because that needs to be incorporated in your household as well. Make sure you talk to Mike, you've signed up. Go out there, there's a brochure. We have a deadline today to meet for ordering things. God bless, have a great Mother's Day.